And we all got dreams, we all want things But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be And do you believe, you can do anything But what you gonna do for it, how you gonna move for it, what you gonna be Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on X at TheLinesUS. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. And before we get started, remember, if you're planning on fading or tailing our college basketball bets this weekend, you can use BetMGM promo code TheLines, one word, to get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses or bet $5 and get $158 in bonus bets either way you're a winner with betmgm sportsbook remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money and as always terms and conditions apply big 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 weekend for us over at thelines.com with the super bowl coming up we have previews up with myself and Modawara on beat the closing number and the megapod with steven andrus matt brown and adam candy but this is our weekend college basketball betting preview and nobody better to do it with than justin perry from Shot Quality at Justin Perry 8 on X content lead over at Shot Quality and Shot Quality Bets. Of course, we have no lines out for the weekend just yet. We're recording this on Thursday, Justin, but we have projections for myself, you, and Haslametrics. So, as we discussed before we got started, best time of the year with the NFL wrapping up, maybe for you, just because March Madness is on the way. Yeah, it is a awesome time of the year about to be the big rush season in college basketball. And Eli, of course, thank you for having me and Shot Quality on the show to discuss some of the big weekend matchups. It's going to be another action-packed Saturday, some huge clashes. We can't even get to them all. I know. Yeah, we had to take out some of the games just because I think we may be going over the top or at least over our time limit. But let's start off with the Friday slate. One of, if not the biggest game, San Diego State at Nevada. I have this one line closer to Nevada minus one, potentially five or maybe even six teams coming out of the Mountain West into the NCAA tournament. But how do you evaluate this game? Yeah, this is a this is a really fun one. You know, I think these teams are very uh, kind of similar, honestly. There's there's a high propensity for both teams to take a lot of mid-range shots. So I think that's what it's going to come down to. It's one of these really fun Mountain West battles where uh, I think either team is live to get it done. Of course, you know, the line sitting right now around minus one and a half for Nevada. Shot quality tends to agree, puts this right around two points. Uh, so Nothing really striking for like a spread bet right now for us over at SQ. This should be a, a fun one. You know, they both have like honestly bad rim and three rates, but still really good shot selection and actually really high open three rate numbers. So they don't take a lot of threes, but when they do, they're smart threes and they have really effective shot makers in the mid range when nothing works out. So these offenses can score in difficult spots so i expect a lot of back and forth uh, and really it may be a coming down to who can defend those mid-range jumpers better at the end of the day uh and i think honestly nevada struggles to to do that more um so i think it might end up going towards san diego state if that ends up being the theme of the day but i expect a battle and i guess my guess is it's going to be really tight to that line yeah and last time we were the two of us were talking about san diego state it was their run to the national championship game. And of course, 
cash in my Final Four futures going back to last year. Matt Bradley hitting a ton of mid-range shots mm-hmm. along the way. My question for Nevada, obviously home court advantage aside, because that's going to be baked into the number and it's not only in the Mountain West. Home court advantage in college basketball has been huge, although it's been dialed down a bit in the last couple of weeks. You had a bunch of road teams, ranked teams winning last weekend, but Offensive rebounding is going to be big for San Diego State. Second highest offensive rebounding percentage in Mountain West play. And this is a Nevada team that ranks bottom 120 per Haslametrics in potential quick points allowed off of offensive rebounds. And outside of the last game, I'm not sure how Dutcher is going to play this with who's going to be in the starting lineup, whether it's Micah Parrish, who is back in the starting five against Air Force on Wednesday night, or Jay Powell, who was inserted into the starting five before that span, but Powell and Ladie, two very, very good offensive rebounders, especially Ladie, who has completely revitalized his career, really, and taken that big step that I don't think a lot of people expected overall, not just on the offensive glass and creating second chance shots. So if San Diego State is able to control the glass, and especially on that end of the floor, I would expect the Aztecs to win this game as probably a short dog. But again, home court advantage, as we've seen throughout Mountain West play, is going to be a big factor. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a fascinating one. It's not a foregone conclusion that this is a home team win by any means, though. So yeah, I think this makes it a great game, especially on such a small Friday. I'll I'll definitely be tuning into this one and, and potentially seeing two tournament teams here. So it'll be interesting. On to the Saturday card, Big East action, Creighton at Xavier, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time tip from Synthas Center. Haslametrics making this game Creighton minus one and a half. I have it closer to Creighton minus two and a half, so curious as to where shot quality has this one, Justin. But how about, let's just take a step back to Wednesday night. Villanova did cover as a three and a half point road dog at Xavier, but with about 15 and change to go in that game, Kyle Neptune had one timeout left. Villanova didn't get a shot off in the final 15 seconds. And Kyle Neptune didn't take a single question after the game. Like, this is one of the worst coaching transitions, especially when you think about going from a Hall of Famer, two-time national champion Jay Wright, to Neptune. And this team should be a tournament team this year. And they're still in the mix. Granted, probably going to need a big East tournament run in order to make the big dance, but that was inexcusable, even though of course for Villanova betters, they covered. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You take a look at the betting side. They did a great job, (laughs) but when you talk about what they should have been able to do on the floor and what it might mean for their tournament hopes and, and what we might expect from them come March, it's uh it's not looking great i would say that um look they are you know right now i think i saw joe lenardi's back apology depending on how you feel but a lot of places are you know first four or next four out right now for nova so yeah they have to make a very strong case in the next few weeks um and and big east play i think is maybe more of a potential for them to do so rather than the big east tournament um we've seen you know, maybe some. Uh, not, I would. I don't want to say like disrespect, but not like a lot of respect for these conference tournaments. A lot of the times, the the plays. If you go on a hot run in the conference tournament, you don't necessarily see it uh, reflected too much. It can maybe be the make or break, but 
I, I really think Nova is going to have to take advantage of their schedule now. They're going to need some some big wins or like to compete with UConn on the road. Make sure they handle uh, Georgetown. They have they're hosting Butler, who looks like a you know a rising team right now in the Big East. They're going to have to sort of uh, put them in their place and and say no, like you know Big East still runs through us when you're in our our city and our building. And so uh, some some good chances still going to play Providence, Seton Hall, and Creighton to end the year. They need to turn it around quickly, though, because, again, that Xavier loss just shouldn't uh, be happening. And, and they probably shouldn't have defended home court against Marquette. And, uh, yeah, it has not it has not been pretty. St. John's beat him at home, too. Yeah, poor starts, slow starts has been the bugaboo, especially going back to that Marquette game for um, a week and a half, two weeks ago. And Bill Nova, I think, took the lead in the second half or at least came all the way back after being down high double digits. But... I would expect Seton Hall to probably be a trendy dog against Nova on Sunday. And I don't know if I would necessarily look in the Pirates direction. I do think the Wildcats take advantage at home. But just because that line is probably going to be around double digits or two possessions, I should say, Pirates will very likely be of the betting interest. But looking at this matchup here with Creighton and Xavier, Creighton coming off back-to-back losses And the overtime loss on Wednesday night, Devin Carter with a huge three to tie the game up in the final second, send the game to overtime. Creighton also losing to Butler last Friday. And the Jays needed a second half comeback to beat Xavier at home when these two teams squared off in late January. Depending on what number you got Xavier covered, how are you guys at shot quality projecting this game? Well, I'll tell you right now. Shot quality loves Creighton. They love the way they play. Uh, They, you know, the data just lines up in terms of the way they take shots, uh, you know, the way that they're able to develop quality looks at the basket. And and it hasn't necessarily played out this year. But, yeah, just based on that, it won't surprise you. Shot quality's model makes this an eight-point Creighton win. Um, And there's been some unluckiness to Creighton this year. And the stats, again, it reads like a laundry list. First in shot quality in rim and three rate uh, against on on defense to start. So they're really effective in keeping opponents from getting good looks. Uh, and then they are they lead shot quality in shot making and are top ten in spacing as well as top ten in their own rim and three uh, efficiencies in terms of expectations. So uh, yeah, they they don't allow a lot of free throws. They just limit good looks on defense they get good looks on offense it's it's probably gonna look like when we zoom out at the end of the season that they they ran into like some mid-season typical january struggles when this team starts to put it together uh they get hot i think it's just one of those squads where it's like watch out we could see this as a potential time in the season that was a buy low on creighton um they are a a very sharp team in terms of the way they create these looks um their numbers if you look at the shot quality team pages are just like spectacular they're uh, every single shot type on the page they're top 15 and it's pretty tough to do um so yeah they're very effective when they take their shots and looking at creating a little bit more so transition defense wise over at shot quality 55th and shot quality transition defense and that's really a product of creating sacrificing the potential for generating second chance shots and getting back in transition, which Greg Mm -hmm. McDermott enforces. And they do it at a very high level, as you could tell by the numbers and Xavier top 10 in transition points this year. So I do kind of agree with you that maybe a bit of a buy low, at least with Creighton in this game, 
I bet Jay's future is going back to the preseason at around 40 to 1. And I was getting questions in our Discord channel, which you could check out over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Get my bets, get Steven Andrus's bets from the Lines podcast and the Outside Shots podcast over in the Discord channel. He's busy with NFL this weekend. Creighton, 40 to 1, going back to the offseason. Maryland is in the dumpster among my futures. I have a long shot on Auburn, and we'll get to the Tigers here in a bit. Probably my best bet. And then final four futures on St. John's that I fired a couple weeks ago. But my question with Creighton, not really in this game, because I do agree with you that their defense matches up really well. They force you into mid-range shots, which Xavier could do at a pretty high level. But I still don't trust their offense enough, especially when they're not leaking out in transition. And then Xavier due for three-point regression defensively, which is where Creighton thrives with Ashworth and Shireman. But to that point, I really thought the trade-off from Ashworth and getting him in from Utah State and then Ryan Emhart transferring to Gonzaga, losing Arthur Kaluma, who was a bit of a clumsy player at both ends of the floor, really. But Creighton really misses their athleticism, especially when they can't leak out in transition offensively themselves and they're forced more in the half court. So I don't know if I agree with you in the sense that Creighton is going to be able to make that deep tournament run that we saw last year. And that's coming from a guy that, again, bet Creighton futures to do just that. I feel you. No, I've definitely seen, you know, seen them play and I have those worries and uh, this is really more where the data starts to take hold, right? They have still struggled with shot selection. There's there's reasons why that they're still down here. They're not getting to the free throw line enough. Uh, honestly, uh, it's it's a little that is probably the biggest like most glaring issue for them. They need to be able to do that a little bit more reliably. Uh, they don't go to the rim nearly enough, right? And I think uh, that makes them very susceptible. You need to be able to. Uh, go at the hoop, 355th in terms of frequency per shot qualities metrics at yeah. finishing at the rim. So uh, you're just not going to open up your offense. I think, you know, teams sort of can key in to what you're doing and, and maybe force you from taking those good looks. And shot quality, of course, takes into account the effectiveness of the players. And while that is very uh, apparent in terms of these ratings and like they're a very talented team, right? really talented shooters uh, first in shot making. And that tells you everything you need to know to me. Like they, they kind of uh, depend a little too much on that. Uh, if they really do want to take that next step, it definitely would involve uh, improving the shot selection so that they can open up the floor uh, even more. And just like, you know, uh, maybe for the defensive game planning against it gets a little bit more difficult it feels like it's just like if creighton makes their shots you're probably cooked and if they miss their shots they're gonna look pretty pedestrian and and you live and you die by it and you see it in the what the top 20 in catch and shoot three percentage uh top 60 and off the dribble three point uh percentage and frequency sorry and then um mid-range too they're not like they're in the top half so a lot of their shots end up being jump shots and it just leads to a little bit of predictability and and maybe that almost like a single dimension missing can could have un, could unlock them if it was you know a more in the lane present team but i don't think you're going to get that this season and it's probably why they won't do it all but still dangerous any given night you know it's college basketball Right. No, really, really good nuggets, especially Creighton's inability to get to the basket. Like outside of Trey Alexander, and that's a guard, just kind of talking big picture here. That's a guard that I absolutely want to back in March individually, but collectively as a team, 
if you're missing threes and you're not a team that's going to attack the paint because, like we discussed, Creighton wants to get back in transition and they have a very, very good, if not elite transition defense across college basketball metrics-wise, you're not going to go far when you don't have guys that can attack the paint and if you're not on from three. This isn't a team that is in the 100-1 to range to win a national championship like we're discussing a high-variance team as a long-shot candidate around 30, 40 to one still to win the national title. So you're not getting good value on a high variance team, which is makes me wish I didn't bet them at the beginning of the season, (laughs) but that's how she goes in college basketball. You try to get a jump on the futures market and it burns you in the ass, especially with a Creighton team that really doesn't have any guards outside of Alexander that can attack the rim. So one of my bigger regrets when it comes to the futures market, but We move on, and I digress, on to Illinois at Michigan State. 2 p.m. Eastern time tip from East Lansing. I have this one as around Michigan State minus two. Haslametrics closer to MSU minus four. And the Spartans lost the first meeting between these two teams in Champaign. Did cover, kind of similar to Villanova in terms of the point spread with Xavier earlier this week. Michigan State was a three and a half point dog at Illinois earlier in the season and Michigan State coming off of a pretty brutal loss in a look at spot theoretically at Minnesota on Tuesday night. How are you guys at shot quality projecting this one? Yeah, we have Illinois winning this one by like a point and a half. So a little different. Uh, we do like Illinois a fair amount at shot quality. No, no different than like a Ken Palm or a Hasla there. Pretty fairly nestled into like the bottom of that top 10. I don't think it's uh, unfair whatsoever. Actually, shot quality is a little bit lower by like the pure ranking. Uh, we have them at 16. So uh, I, I do think it's an interesting matchup here. Illinois kind of does a little bit of everything. I, I was looking into them a bit, and it's not like there's this huge glaring, oh, this is exactly why they win. This is exactly why they lose. Um, you know, strong suits are limiting three-point attempts against and getting offensive rebounds, running uh, an effective transition attack, and also, of course, rebounding on both sides of, of the floor. It's it's like a you know a, a typical Big Ten defense. They're going to force you into taking mid range, and if they're effective at that, they can probably win a game even on the road here. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. This is a tough one, Michigan State. I, I really see this one as a battle. Um, you know, Michigan State excels in keeping the ball secure and not really turning it over. And that is not going to be a problem uh, with Illinois because they don't force turnovers. So uh, I could see a very effective day, a high number of uh, you know shots being attempted from Michigan state. And in general, it's just going to be tough to beat that if Illinois, uh, you know, allows for some of those mid range shots to fall, they are pretty good at defending it. And they do see the most mid range in the country per SQ, but uh, again, Michigan State should be decently effective at getting those points home. Uh, I think this is really going to be a true battle and would not be shocked to see this come down to the last two or three possessions in the final minutes. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is a pretty good spot here just in terms of the numbers you were discussing with Illinois and maybe inability in a sense to defend mid-range shots and listen they're not high percentage shots but Michigan State is a great shot making team with Tyson Walker this is something you and I discussed last year when they had Joey Hauser that was more so the case just because you had a very very efficient three-point shooter especially in ball screen sets with Walker and Hogar not necessarily the case this year but still high volume and a very 
very efficient shooter in Tyson Walker and a guy that has the ball in his hands a lot down the stretch. Also with Illinois, Illini rank below the Division One average in near proximity field goal attempts allowed per game. So to your point, around the rim, mid-range two per Haslametrics, and they really just struggle to defend motion, which is where Michigan State really thrives. Really good cutting team and off-ball in general. That's kind of the mantra for Tom Izzo teams, especially when you don't have a bunch of very, very efficient three-point shooters. Hogard, Aikens, and Malik Hall. Hall especially very, very good off-ball and yep. cutting to the basket. And Aikens really off-ball mid-range and from behind the arc. So the other thing, too, with Michigan State, they have made much more concerted effort of attacking the offensive glass. And this is a Spartans team that, generally speaking, has struggled at both ends of the floor in the rebounding department. But Illinois, you have to keep right. the Illini off the offensive glass. And if Michigan State continues that effort on the defensive glass and doesn't allow Illinois to attack the rim off of their missed looks, then I would expect Michigan State to come away with a win here. Again, a huge spot. I don't think Michigan State is on the first four in, first four out cut line, whether it's Lenardi or any other bracketology. But you lose this game, and then you continue to drop some in the latter part of Big Ten play. That's where it can get a little dicey for Michigan State. But I like this one matchup-wise for Sparty at home. Yeah, I do too. I think this is one where they uh, will probably expect to win. Um, again, it's it's getting close to Izzo season, and this is a a big game um, for sure. Like this is This is not just any old regular Saturday game. You're getting into the heart of it. I think this will be an exciting atmosphere at home for Michigan State. Sparty taking care of business sounds pretty uh, usual to me. I know college basketball has been a little off the walls this year, Eli. I'm sure you can attest, uh, you know, there's been a lot of crazy results, a lot of results where, uh, you know, even the expectations don't line up. And I think that's always an interesting part. But, um, you know, Sparty here taking on Illinois at home. This should be a, a pretty nice spot for them to win. I mean, last time I think they met at Michigan State, Illinois won. So I, those things do matter. Um, you know, they, they don't want to drop multiple games. I think Illinois won the last four meetings. So I, I do like Michigan State to get this big win here against the in-conference rival. I think money line probably feels a little bit better to me than laying even, you know, one or two points, depending where this line ends up opening. I know uh, the, the Ken Palm number was sitting, you know, right around minus one. So I think we'll get a tight one. And yeah, I like that that small favorite. Yeah, valuable point to take in. Maybe you look at Michigan State money line overlaying a point and a half, two points. Might not sound like a lot, but in college basketball, Justin and I both know that it is very meaningful. Oh, yeah. And speaking of inexplainable results, I'm curious how you expect this next matchup to go between Auburn at Florida, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time tip from the Swamp on Saturday afternoon. Like I mentioned, I have... Long shot futures on Auburn, 80 to 1 national title features that I bet back in late November. I make this closer to Auburn minus two and a half, minus three, especially when you account the spot, potential letdown spot here for Auburn after that blowout win and a big one, mm -hmm. second quad one win for Auburn over Alabama on Wednesday night, getting some sweet revenge after Alabama beat them 
at home a couple weeks ago. Haslametrics, by the way, has this one closer to Auburn minus seven and a half. And a lot of defensive numbers that I want to get into with Auburn. But first and foremost, Janai Broom, when you look at some of the defensive metrics, especially over at Evan Miyakawa's site, Broom, the third most impactful defender in the country, according to defensive BPR and gets even better when you look down the depth chart for this team, whether it's Chad Baker Mazzara or even your backup big Dylan Cardwell. This is an elite rim defense. Now, Florida has a very, very efficient offense when it comes to taking mm-hmm. the most proficient shots, which you well know when Todd Golden is involved and your handicap in a, a Florida game. So how do you expect this one to go between Florida and Auburn, Justin? I expect points. This is a a beautiful matchup. This is two top five shot quality offenses. Uh, Florida currently rating uh, fourth. Oh, I misread. My my bad. Top ten. Florida rating fourth. Auburn rating eighth. So still just a little less gorgeous. Still really nice offense going to be played here. Both teams take really good shots. Um, and it's not necessarily even a lot of threes for this Auburn team, they are going to get effective looks at the rim. And like you said, they are, they're pretty dominant on both sides. I'm sitting there envious of the future you took. They are taking smart shots uh, and, and doing a really good job at utilizing their talent. I think that's been the, the real name of the game for them. And this is, this is a tough game. Of course, we've seen, uh, I, love, I love college basketball, the jungle, the swamp. Both, both these teams do have, a sizable uh, home court advantage and, and a nice, you know, environment for fans to come play. I imagine the, or cheer, not play, but fans playing would be more fun maybe. But Florida <laughs> will probably have, you know, the the crowd out and they have been able to defend their home court frequently. And I do imagine we're going to see Auburn laying a possession. Uh, you know, shot quality's got this one right now at minus five. So, uh, Ken Palm at minus four, like you said, Haslow sitting up around minus six, minus seven. I I do think we're going to see like a, a minus three and a half, maybe minus four and a half. Um, you know, I do also know that this year has been one where we've seen the books like adjust in advance to these, you know, quote unquote spots, right? Where you have the, the underdog uh, road uh, home team versus this favor this favored uh ranked team and so everyone's probably going to be piling on the florida system pick and i think you're just going to end up taking a shorter line than you want on florida uh you know by by pure definition if i wake up and i see a minus two and a half on auburn here i'm probably going to play them so uh they are a really good team i don't think what we saw with you know alabama at home like yeah minus five and a half should it maybe have been minus seven minus eight sure but, I mean, a definitive 19-point, 18-point win against one of the best uh, teams in the country, you know, top 25-type team. I'm I'm pretty convinced. A couple missteps on the road, but, you know, showed up against Ole Miss. That was a big turning point for me. I was expecting them to struggle a little bit more in that game, too. So, they're playing really well. I like, I like the over. I like this t- game to just have a lot of shots being made. And I, I definitely lead Auburn if I get less than a possession. Yeah, up-tempo offenses on both sides. And you think about Florida, 81st in adjusted defensive efficiency, elite offensive rebounding team. So that is an area that Auburn has struggled in in terms of limiting second-chance shots with Hanglot and Samuel especially. Really, really good second-chance creators for this Florida team. And 
Auburn is pretty solid when it comes to their transition defense, if not elite. So that's an area where you probably have a plus matchup. And then Auburn also, like I hit on, one of the best rim protection units in college basketball with Broom, Cardwell, and Williams, Jalen Williams. You go back to that Alabama game on Wednesday night. Broom was plus 25 in BPM, Williams plus 16, and that's box plus minus. Combined for 50 points, 13 rebounds, seven blocks, three steals, three assists, and just one turnover. And then going back to that lull for Auburn, if you will, after losing to Alabama, losing on the road to Mississippi State as well. That was kind of a stretch that I discussed on Outside Shots a few weeks ago or two weeks ago, where I thought that might have been a buy-low opportunity on this Auburn team because I did foresee maybe some struggles in your first true conference road setting But guard play has been much more consistent. You go back to that Ole Miss game, and especially on Wednesday night against Alabama, Trey Donaldson, plus 26 net rating, 14.6 rebounds, four assists, one steal. Now that Auburn has a consistent point guard, because Bruce Pearl didn't really know if he was going to be depending on Donaldson or Aiden Holloway from that spot, but it seems to be Donaldson, and he's cashing in for Pearl, literally. Yeah, no, uh, it's going really well. They've they've seemingly... Uh, almost unlocked them, and it, it's it's been awesome. I really like this Auburn team. I, I like the way they play. I like Janai Broom a lot. I saw this team in person. Uh, they were at, I'm not sure if it was Barclays or MSG. I've been to both a lot uh, this season. I'm pretty Barclays. sure it was Barclays, yeah, because uh, we got really close to the floor without any trouble, so it had to be Barclays. Um, <laughs> but, no, they were really, <laughs> really impressive, and I think uh, this team's a little bit more diversified. They're going to be a problem. Uh, they really, really are. I think the the defense right now against three-point shots is a key thing for them. Uh, and, and if that continues to be something they're able to lock down, Auburn definitely can make one of those storied runs. And, uh, you know, I think the, the finishing up here in SEC play will definitely be interesting. Uh, that away game against Tennessee is one I have circled on my calendar uh, February 28th. That'll be a very fun test for this Auburn team, see if they can compete against one of the best defenses in the country and uh, just, you know, some some fun SEC basketball. And going back to Auburn last season, if you look at that Tennessee game, one of the grosser games mm-hmm. you could have watched in college basketball, 46 to 43 in Knoxville. That is close cover your eye territory. So hopefully we don't get that game where these two teams meet up again to Justin's point. But one last thing. Last time Auburn made a deep NCAA tournament run, 2019, got all the way to the Final Four. Todd Golden was an assistant on Bruce Pearl's staff that year when they had Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. And that's actually a reason why Aiden Holloway went to Auburn. He was in eighth grade when Auburn, I heard that nugget on the broadcast during Alabama and Auburn on Wednesday night. So it should be a fun matchup just coaching-wise in this game on Saturday afternoon. But speaking of history, I have a history question for you, Justin, when it comes to, and I don't know how big of a history buff you are, so we'll see how this goes. Gonzaga at at Kentucky, 4 p.m. Eastern time at Rupp on Saturday. Who was the president the last time Gonzaga missed the NCAA tournament? Oh, man. I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I'm going to go 
with an educated guess and say Ronald Reagan. All right. You're a little off there, but I'll give you credit for okay. trying. And I will preface that long? I would have. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have gotten that one either. It was Bill Clinton. Okay, Bill okay, Clinton. that's a lot less time than I thought. That question was a little <laughs> tricky. Okay, that's fair. That was honestly the first one that popped in my head, but like, no, that's not that's not enough time. They're better than that. But nope, I guess not. My bad. I would have been way off as well. So I can't I can't knock you there. But Gonzaga <laughs> could be. I mean, this is do or die kind of for Gonzaga 0-5 in quad one games last time they missed the NCAA tournament March of 1998 and I have this one closer to Kentucky minus three at Rupp Haslam kind of shading towards Gonzaga even though this is a good home spot for Kentucky I'd like to say that you know Reagan finished serving in 89 so I was only about eight years off that's not that <laughs> bad that's true <laughs> That's true. Two presidential terms-ish. I'll yes. give you some credit there. A little, a little, so, a little. A little, a little credit. <laughs> Where do you guys over at Shot Quality have this at with Kentucky and Gonzaga? Uh, this is an interesting one because, you know, we, we still have some of that good old respect for Gonzaga in our model, and we do have them projected to win this game by just under a possession at 2.7 points. Um, and it's an interesting one, honestly. I, I do not... No, if I personally agree with that, um, you know, on the road, it's going to be a tough environment here. The the big thing for Kentucky in shot quality's numbers is that we have them as, you know, maybe one of the bigger differentials in terms of, you know, public perception. They're holding uh, the 17th rank right now in the poll, but shot quality has them at 71st and adjusted shot quality uh, expects their record to be 12 and 10 instead of 16 and 6. So there is uh, some uh, questions coming from us over at Shot Quality to what this Kentucky team is really going to be able to do. Uh, you know, we have those unexpected results where we take a look at, you know, the wins that maybe were expected to be under 50% win rates if simulated from the same shots from the same players. Uh, you know, wins at from at Florida, they were expected to lose the, a couple preseason wins at home. St. Joseph's was a close one. Shot quality had as a loss. Marshall, Wilmington. So, like, that's most likely going to catch up to them. Uh, there's probably some, yeah, some pretty mean efficiency regression expected. They're scoring 1.2 points per possession. Shot quality expects 1.1. So that's uh, that's pretty significant. So I I definitely think that the you know, the fall off for, for, for Kentucky is, is probably looming a little bit. They have been doing better in SEC play, but it would not shock me, especially in this, you know, special uh, matchup. I think they're playing again next year, right? So I wouldn't be shocked to see them drop this game and, and Gonzaga to have a little bit of a uh, remember us type of moment since everyone's down on them right now. Yeah, and looking at some of the negatives here for Kentucky, this is something that Steve and I have touched on a bunch over the last Maybe month. I was about to say a couple weeks, but it's it's been a, a long while mm -hmm. that Kentucky has struggled defensively really all season, ranking 101st in college basketball and adjusted defensive efficiency number 226 per you guys over at shot quality and points per possession allowed off ball. And it's really just lackadaisical stuff. Like you go back to the Tennessee game and they were going under screens 
Yeah. And stagger screens, just not really paying attention to some of these elite Tennessee three-point shooters on Saturday night at Rupp. That was a home game. That wasn't in Knoxville, whether it was Ziegler. Connect didn't necessarily have the best performance offensively when it came to his efficiency and just how efficient he's been overall this season. But Tennessee shot the lights out at Rupp outside of Connect. And when you look at offensive rebounding, too, for Gonzaga, Anton Watson and Ben Gregg helping guide Gonzaga to the 13th highest second chance conversion percentage per Haslametrics. And Kentucky hasn't been great on the glass either. So that's been an area of concern. Now, I will say Gonzaga grades out roughly average when it comes to their transition defense, according to Synergy. And we both know Kentucky can take advantage of that. And then some with Dillingham and Shepard. And even if Trey Mitchell and DJ Wagner aren't healthy, as of this recording, we don't know if those guys are going to be suiting up for Kentucky. But Kentucky has the athleticism with Dillingham, especially how explosive of a guard he is in the open court to beat Gonzaga down the floor. So I have this game around a coin flip, and yep. I have a tough time saying I would feel comfortable taking either side. You hit on that kind of a, we both mentioned this, must-win spot for Gonzaga-ish if they want to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think that's an overstatement or an exaggeration. And by the way, last time, just to kind of take you back in history a little bit, our listeners here on Outside Shots, and we'll be back on video on the Lions YouTube channel next week, just a bunch of Super Bowl content going out this weekend. Last time Gonzaga missed the NCAA tournament, the MVP of the NCAA tournament was Jeff Shepard, Reed Shepard's dad, when wow. Kentucky won it all the year after Rick Pitino left Kentucky. Some shocking, shocking historical nuggets to go back on, man. So do or die kind of for Gonzaga, right? Yeah, no, I, I do agree. This is a uh, an interesting spot where they kind of have their backs up against the wall. And, and these are things that matter, especially when, you know, Kentucky is playing a, you know, a non-conference game in the middle of the conference schedule when maybe they don't have that same level of urgency uh, where they don't, where if they drop a game to a, a team like Gonzaga, it isn't exactly the craziest uh, result for them. I, I tend to think that we're going to see this line open up at like Kentucky minus two, two and a half. So, I will likely be taking Gonzaga plus the points in that scenario. Maybe even looking at the money line if I can get like you know a plus one fifteen, plus one twenty. That's that's pretty nice. Uh, I'll, I'd be looking at that for sure. Yeah, and when you think about minutes, continuity, and experience in college basketball, I mean Gonzaga lost some key pieces below Division one average in minutes continuity, but still above the college basketball average when it comes to experience. So I don't think a lot of these guys, whether it's Watson. Even some of the transfers that don't necessarily have the continuity like Graham EK are going to really be bothered by playing at Rupp, which maybe goes into the handicap a little bit. It's not like this is an, an experienced Gonzaga team on the road. We'll see how the injuries play out, though, for Kentucky with Edwards and or with Wagner, I should say, and Mitchell missing the Vanderbilt game and going back to their last two or three games, two losses last week to Tennessee and Florida. But Speaking of Rick Pitino, pretty big game for St. John's on the road at Marquette on Saturday night, 6 p.m. Eastern time tip in Milwaukee. I make this game closer to, I know this is hovering away from a lot of the projections, whether it's Haslametrics or Kempom or Torvik or you guys over at Chat Quality. I have this closer to Marquette minus six and a half. Haslametrics 
a little bit higher up, Marquette minus nine. And I brought up how I have that Final Four Futures on St. John's. You can get a better number on the Johnnies if you're looking to back St. John's. And for St. John's, for that future to be valuable, probably need a win here in this spot. And I would consider just based on the way this number is going to be projected at, and it is projected at, and probably where this number opens at, you're probably going to get a pretty good number on St. John's. And we're also going to learn a lot about St. John's transition defense in this game. They rank outside, just outside the bottom 70 in defensive efficiency in transition. And we both know that's where Marquette thrives with Kolek, top 10 assist rate in college basketball, Cam Jones and Godaro. But you look at St. John's, They've lost five of their last seven games, including that one-point loss to Marquette at the Garden. No Jordan Dingle, though. Keep in mind, still dealing with COVID at that point. St. John's is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in college basketball. Top four, especially on the offensive glass. Marquette, not a great rebounding team just because you don't have a lot of size. So this is probably a game where if St. John's, even if they're inefficient with their Perimeter shooting, you can get those second chance shots with Soriano and some of these hyper aggressive offensive rebounders like Ledlam. Right. And you can also keep Marquette from running that transition because you're taking those boards down, right? And you're, you know, able to reset and, and slow them down and, and maybe not uh, let them get comfortable at home. I, I, I've seen St. John's play a lot. I was at the game when Marquette won uh, at uh, Madison Square Garden and you know, I literally, I was sitting there wondering why we had Rick Pitino inbounding to uh, Soriano with four seconds left from his own baseline. But that's that's a question <laughs> for another day. Um, and I, I do apologize if you can hear the sirens behind me right now. Yeah, I think they're coming, for, they're coming for Rick Pitino for they that really shot are. They really are. And we are literally in the heart of New York City. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> 10 floors up, but you'd think I'm on the street. But... Um, no, it's, it's going to be <laughs> a really good game. I, I, you know, I kind of agree that number is probably going to open up like seven shot quality makes it seven and a half. So a, a really interesting one. I tend to think St. John's plus the points is going to have legs just based off of, you know, what they're going to have to do to even stay in this game. And, uh, they are pretty firmly looking like a tournament team. I don't know if, St. John's really needs to have their backs against the walls. They're looking like they're going to be a pretty solid 8-9 seed, in my opinion. And uh, it would take some really big missteps for that to sort of go away. They've had some some good competition. Uh, the Big East is looking really strong. I, I do expect them to get in, but this is a definite stumble spot. Um, this is a spot where, you know... This whole year has been a little bit of a stumble spot, and we see it a lot when you, even with great coaches like Patino, coming in in year one is such a mess. And, and you know, they definitely do have the guards to, to keep up with what Marquette's going to do. But I have a bit, you know, maybe it's the homer in me, and it, it keeps me off this game officially right now early. But, um, you know, my, my, my head says it's St. John's. Um, but you know, the efficiency numbers and the coaching scenario and the chemistry of this team, it, it could get ugly. Um, and if, if St. John's is to not cover, I would not be shocked if they almost lose this game by 20 and Marquette could just take over. But, uh, the most likely scenario to me is that if I'm getting seven and a half points here on, on St. John's on the road against a team that I think they can really out rebound, I'd, I'd probably lean towards taking those points. You mentioned coaching, and 
Rick Pitino is probably one of the biggest energizers in college basketball history when it comes to really changing the way teams look at the three-point line, especially at the college level. Now, I know it was against DePaul on Wednesday night, and trust me, as a DePaul alum, and I kind of hate DePaul basketball. Keep that in mind, too. A lot of my followers, and we discussed that in the past, Justin. But So I'm not saying Wednesday night's game was a change of the guard for St. John's offensively, but they took 43s, and Dingle took 10. So you can exploit DePaul's transition defense maybe a bit more than you can Marquette, even though I think the metrics may be overrating Marquette's defense a bit when it comes to their defensive efficiency. If St. John's is going to change the way, just with shot selection in general, Denise Jenkins is one of the best offensive initiators in the country. And that's kind of to the point where this team hasn't really come together, which you and I have both been pressing here in this game. I know Patino and St. John's like to press. St. John's really hasn't found that cohesion yet because you have a bunch of transfers. The minutes continuity isn't there. I brought it up with Gonzaga. This team has zero to just a tad bit of minutes continuity going into the year. And even at this point, Jenkins coming from Iona, even though he played with Patino, Ledlam from Harvard, Dingle from Penn, Soriano was on this Johnny's team last year, RJ Lewis from UMass, you have Ayin from UConn, a defending national champion. Edgefor from Kansas. Dunlap, who was brought in here as a freshman. I kind of like Dunlap, by the way, and if he gets that three-point stroke to drop. So if the talent comes together, that's why I was pretty high in this Johnny's team and bet the number a couple weeks ago on St. John's to make the Final Four run. I'm not saying they're at the same level as UConn by any means from last year, but we've seen teams struggle in conference play. Keep in mind, UConn last five of six games going back to last year in Big East play, and everybody dropped UConn off their list of potential national title contenders. What happened? I'm not saying UConn or St. John's is at that level, but you get this team out of the Big East and into the NCAA tournament, especially if we see a bit more cohesion down the stretch and you win a game at Marquette and you improve that transition defense. I think all bets are off the table for how far this St. John's team can go in the dance. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, uh, the guards that are effective in the Big East and you know conference play are not the same level of guards that you're going to need for the tournament. It's just it's a different battle the regular season versus single game, everything on the line, uh, and you know also not playing other Big East teams. Uh, and it's it's going to be probably beneficial for them to have this uh you know rebounding focus uh, and start getting comfortable shooting threes especially if you know soriano can even mix in a few and really space the floor out and have some of that uh creation and and you know driving to the hoop from jenkins and ledlam really start to get opened up a bit uh and then you know of course crashing the glass effectively i do think this team does have what it takes to make a crazy run, right? Their ceiling is insanely elite if they do put it together. They, you're just seeing a team that hasn't. And that's okay because they still have another, you know, eight to ten games to figure this out uh, before things start to be uh, dire. And then, you know, uh, again, this might not be the year where all the pressure is really on. I mean, Rick Pitino probably coming in saying, I hope you don't, you know, expect that we're going to go take – cut down the nets in year one. It's a, that's a big expectation. You look at how, you know, coaches do in terms of revitalizing programs. It is often not 
especially at the power conference level that we have here in, in the Big East, it is not quick because uh, the, the competition's incredibly difficult, right? You can see it at other programs. I mean, we're seeing it like this year with Charlotte, uh, you know, with uh, Coach uh, coming from Kennesaw and doing it again in these program flippers. But you got a heavier pancake to flip here, you know, what program, whatever you want, whatever it is in the analogy. But it's, <laughs> it's a tougher flip. It's going to take some time to really uh, find the best way to get under it and turn it around. And the energy is there for St. John's. Um, I, I don't expect them to, you know, make any crazy jumps in the next week. Uh, but I do think a cover against Marquette here and maybe even a little sprinkle on the money line because, you know, they're going for it hard uh, is worthwhile. And just overall with St. John's, you go back to that loss against UConn. I thought that was a really good spot for the Johnnies, and they played like it yeah. in the first half, but really struggled in the mid-range defensively. And Stefan Castle, man, I mean, you talk about the Big East being a juggernaut. I didn't think UConn had this kind of a ceiling, and they may not have the continuity they had last year in terms of over the last, kind of since the beginning of, when Hurley took over that program. So I don't know if they have a ceiling cohesion wise that they did last year in March and cashing in on those futures last year with the Huskies at around 50 to one, but talent wise, I think they have a higher ceiling than they did last year, just because you have a potential lottery pick in castle with the way he's playing offensively. Yeah. And then, you know, you got that, that guy, Donovan Klingon hanging out with him too. And then <laughs> you have uh, Newton and all It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. UConn's UConn's a juggernaut again. And, and I think people were like, are they going to really be uh, that, you know, able to potentially repeat? And the, the answer is yes. Uh, we've seen it in the culture from the school, this basketball program as a whole. Uh, they know how to build these types of dynasties. I'm excited. I want to see them do it again because I want to, I like living through greatness. I'm not like a grouch or a hater. Like even if I'm a, you know, a, 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 I'm a St. John's fan, but at the other end of the, the day it's a little new they're only back in manhattan for a few years it's been a little tough to get out to carnal seca for the last decade or so so um you know i like i like seeing the craziness the stories it's good for the sport of college basketball um and i i love just when we have a high level at the game and whenever you see uconn play it's it's like it's really impressive it, it looks really good so i can't wait i hope we get like Man, if we get like a UConn Indiana State matchup, I'm just like I'm not watching anything else that during that window. I just there's going to be some beautiful basketball on UConn's run in March Madness for sure. And let's wrap up the Outside Shots podcast presented by BetMGM with some side dishes, some spots that you're looking at for Saturday's card. And keep in mind, like we hit on off the top, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, so we don't have lines officially. These aren't. Locked in plays yet from Justin, but just a few games we're looking at Loyola, Chicago at George Washington, Virginia, whose defense has really come along of late at Florida State, Bradley against Drake in Peoria, not too far from me in the burbs of Chicago. But how are you looking at these three games on Saturday's card? Yeah, um, you know, I really think these are some interesting spots. Loyola, Chicago, George Washington maybe isn't going to light up everybody's bored in terms of being the most exciting uh, games. But this is one where teams are going in just totally opposite directions. George Washington on a skid, Loyola Chicago kind of picking it up, strung together a few wins here. 
uh, expecting the line to open up around Loyola Chicago minus three, minus four. I think that it's a really nice spot to take George Washington here. Shot quality projecting them to be a, a slight favorite. So I'll be looking to get in on GW, even though I just took an L on them when they uh, hosted Rhode Island. I, I'm not sold they're that bad. I think this is a, a good spot to take them and, and should be some value sneak under the radar there. And then, like you mentioned, Virginia, man, that that defense is just looking crazy. And I think you got to trust it. Uh, FSU coming off of a big win. This is a spot where I do expect FSU will be made to be a slight favorite at home here, but Virginia probably should be favored based on the shot quality numbers, have a slight favorite there. really do think that uh, Virginia offense, especially early in the game. So if you like first half lines, you got to take a look at some of the Virginia stats. I, I do think they come out and they lock teams down, like the team total under for uh, when you're facing Virginia is like a lock under just just go it's crazy the numbers that that team's put up against they don't they can't figure it out right they can't then eventually they do they get some points up they they kind of get what the attack plan is and how they're going to break it down a little bit but yeah what tony bennett's doing is is awesome and i think you want to get your money behind it and then drake bradley is a fascinating one this is a huge battle i would not be shocked if this is one where uh, we revisit it in, in early March because the team that wins this game is going to get a bid to the dance. Um, I I really do like this Bradley team at home. We've seen it over the years. They own their own gym. Uh, this this Drake team is stumbling a, a little bit, but also sort of starting to come into their own compared to the rest of the season. They definitely had some cold issues early on in the season, especially in the non-conference. They've graduated from it, but this is a uh, a tough test, and I. Would not be shocked if Bradley just brings that intensity, tries to get the big home win. If you get like a minus one and a half, minus two line here, I really like Bradley under the possession or even on the short money line. So uh, three spots and shot quality is right there, essentially with Ken Palm and all those other sites with a minus two line for Bradley. But So that's where I expect it. And I, I do think that comes home and returns some nice value. Just to touch on the last game you brought up with Bradley, you may even get a little bit of a discount minus one potentially on the opener just with Bradley losing at Evansville and I know some of our listeners may look at that result and say how could you bet Bradley at home against Drake well it was a look ahead spot for the Braves especially with trying to get revenge against Drake after losing in blowout fashion in the Arch Madness Missouri Valley Conference championship game last year so I agree. Good spot for the Braves a team that I'll probably be looking to bet in the Missouri Valley tournament also, Drake coming off of that overtime win over Southern Illinois. Pretty grindy game. I'm not saying it's going to be a letdown here at Bradley because they're going to get up for this game. Has become one of the better rivalries mid-major-wise in college basketball that isn't really discussed just because who talks about the Valley besides us. But yeah. Malavai Leon's reigning defensive player of the year in the Valley. I think he'll be able to slow down Tucker DeVries, who really thrives on, and this Drake team really thrives on attacking the basket. Bradley, top 65 in the country in two-point field goal percentage allowed. I make this closer to Bradley, minus two and a half. And I will say with Bradley, just to the point that with maybe a bet for me on a conference tournament future with the Braves, I think this team is kind of undervalued overall or will be come the conference tournament. And I know they've been red hot in conference play. So you look at the results outside of the Evansville loss, I think one loss in Missouri Valley conference play. So you might be asking yourself, how would you get a good number? Well, Justin brought up Indiana State. They're going to be priced into the market and they're probably going to be bet even 
higher just based on the market perception with Indiana State, elite offense, you have a kid with goggles, what's not to like with the Sycamores. But the Hickman injury is something to keep in mind with Bradley, one of their better shooters. He missed three or four games in non-conference play. I think even one at the beginning of Missouri Valley Conference play. And Bradley lost three straight games in non-conference. So I think the market may be taking that into account too much, just some of those early season struggles, especially when we get to Arch Madness. Yeah, I tend I tend to agree. Uh, this is a spot, like, I love Indiana State, but, you know, what happens with these teams, they get a lot of coverage, a la McNeese in these mid-majors, is that, you know, they get a little bit of a target on their back, and they get these big lines on the road, and they can't uh, hit them, and I think, you know, I'm not saying that Indiana State isn't great. I just think the market tends to uh, fall in love with these teams and you end up essentially paying that like uh, media, the mid-major media focus tax. And you're just, it's going to be tough to get lines against Indiana State. But the other side of it is that they might just blow a team out by 40 in the conference. So, uh, you know, it's it's been even, even against that tax, it's still worked for Indiana State at times. But uh, I do think it might be tough, especially against the spread, to win bets on them come tournament time and and might be a, a, you know, continue to open that door for Bradley. Remember, Outside Shots is presented by BetMGM. Use promo code the lines one word, bet $5, get $158 in bonus bets instantly or up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. For terms and conditions, head over to thelines.com. You could also head over to thelines.com, top right-hand corner, to get our bets in real time in the Discord channel. It's a free Discord channel. We're not touts, we promise. Justin, what do you want to mention about shot quality and the exciting college basketball slate this weekend? Oh, man. Um, well, if you have not heard about what we're doing over here at SQ, we have developed uh, this really fun new data set from modeling live play-by-play inputs with our player database and our understanding of what various shot types at certain points in the floor are worth to those players. So we have this brand new live regression model where we literally in games are able to place live bets at a very, you know, hopefully high accuracy. We have like, I've been doing like a sample on a show we've been running close to almost 200 bets hitting around 60, 61%, you know, while running a stream. So it's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. We have just some really fun data developing out, you know, more and more of this cool data set to try to bring forward what we know could end up being, you know, game-changing stuff. So it's a it's a fun look. If you haven't heard about it, I definitely recommend checking it out. It can add a lot to your college basketball and NBA process because we have a lot of cool, unique data. Yeah, the live betting you guys have been crushing over at Shot Quality. I want to give you guys a hat tip. Like you said, you're recording it live, you're talking, and then you're also cashing bets. What else could you want when it comes to college basketball wagering? But you can follow Justin on X at Justin Perry 8 content lead over at Shot Quality, doing great work with SQ. If you're betting on the Super Bowl this weekend, head over to thelines.com. I got my betting guide up. The bets are also in the Discord channel and our shows. Fantastic content being put out by the Lines production team over on our YouTube page. Just search the lines and you can find this podcast. Just search the lines on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Leave us a five-star review. If you enjoyed listening, do it and we'll be back on video 
next week. So for Justin and myself, Eli Herskovich, you can follow me at Eli Herskovich. Follow the lines at the lines. U.S., thanks for listening to another edition of Outside Shots. So long, everybody, and good luck on your college basketball bets.